Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this first Wednesday edition in June for the latest episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We've got an exciting episode planned for today's show, but before we get to that, we wanted to remind you to go back and listen to our most recent episode where Kate and I ranked the top 10 wide receivers in the Sun Belt heading into the 2023 season. Today, though, on episode 84 of the show, we're excited to welcome Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Banco to the Frary and Smith podcast as we continue our Decision Makers series, which shines the spotlight on the leaders at the forefront of the ever-evolving world of college athletics. Kane, we've had three of these conversations now, and each time I've left having learned something more about the current state of college athletics. Yeah, that's definitely how these have been going, and it'll continue with this interview that the the fans are about to hear on this episode. I think when you talk to so many people, I feel like you probably feel the same way I do, that we're getting smarter and smarter every episode, learning a little bit and a little bit more about how the back end of this entire industry, really, when you look at college sports works. And I just feel like I hope that our fans and the listeners of the podcast are also picking up on that knowledge and maybe having something that they can maybe talk to their friends about even and spread that knowledge around. So excited to have these high level conversations and to continue keep having them in the future. Yeah, knowledge is definitely important, particularly with how fast things are changing and better understanding, I think, helps you better root for your football teams. Uh, A little bit more about Jared Banco. He uh, has been at the helm of this Georgia Southern Athletic Department since the spring of 2020. He brought with him over a decade of experience in the Southeastern Conference. Most of you would know that as the SEC at schools such as Mississippi State, Georgia, Auburn, and Arkansas. Jared has helped Georgia Southern navigate the complex world of college athletics since his arrival in Statesboro, including guiding the Eagles through the unprecedented COVID pandemic. He's helped lead the charge for much-needed facility upgrades, including an indoor practice facility that's set to come online this summer for the football team, as well as a new home for the Eagles' men's and women's basketball programs in the year ahead. Jared has also been instrumental in hiring some top-notch talent, including Clay Helton as the head football coach in 2021, and more recently, uh, Alabama assistant Charlie Henry to lead the men's basketball program. He continues to be a true rising star in this always changing world of college athletics. Caden, this really was another fantastic conversation with Jared Banco. Give our listeners a quick preview of what they're going to hear from him in this interview. Yeah, Jared jumped into this program and took the reins in a very unprecedented time during COVID, but still managed to pull this team up and continue to show improvement, not only in football, but in other sports. So it was great to hear him talk about that journey, how he got qualified for that journey, and how he's going to look to continue to keep growing this program. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Banco. Really excited to have Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Banco on the podcast. Jared, thanks for joining us this morning. No, good morning. Glad to be here. Well, let's jump right in, Jared. You have a ton of experience at the SEC level on your resume. You've had stops at Mississippi State, Georgia, Auburn, Arkansas. You've really gone all the way around the SEC conference. How has that experience at that level that many consider the top in collegiate athletics prepared you for your role as Athletic Director at Georgia Southern? Yeah, well, one, thanks for having me on this morning. Excited to be here. Um, no, listen, I think it goes back to best practices. And, um, you know, I always often use the analogy. It's kind of like parenting, right? I mean, you know, when you become a first-time parent, you try to take the things that you think your parents did a good job of and, and then your, your your father or mother-in-law and take those things and your wife together, you blend them together. And that's kind of how I look at what we do at, at Georgia Southern is taking best practices from four different SEC institutions. And even if we didn't utilize those those initiatives at the schools I've been at, I obviously have seen it at a high level for over 20 years. So. No, it, it's critical because it becomes a foundational base for everything you do. And so very, 
very thankful and very blessed to work under a lot of great administrators too that showed me the ropes. Jared, thanks again for joining us. You take all that SEC experience you got and you take it to the Georgia Southern um, the athletic department in the midst of a, a COVID pandemic and COVID-19. What was that experience like as an athletic director? And what were some of the yeah, challenges? Yeah, no, that that's a great question. Well, I, I want to question God's timing. And so when we, when we left and transitioned Mississippi State, it was a really it was a tough transition in a lot of ways. One, you know, obviously worked with, you know, I owe a lot to John Cohen and, and John provided me so many opportunities and, and had some great people there. And then there's always, you know, what often is not talked about is, is the family aspect. And so when you transition, you know, you obviously have the, the, you want to do well and you have that, the, the first, you know, I'd say the highs of being a first time AD, but, but it's that family piece that that's always a tough part during the transition and going through COVID, you know, I was thinking about, well, how, you know, are we going to sell our house? Are we going to be able to get the kids there at a decent time? And so, you had those normal changes that uh, they, they go along with having a, a change in your position, change in your job. But I would tell you that the biggest thing coming to Georgia Southern was really just trying to make sure that was persistently consistent in my approach and our approach as a, as a leader. Um, because at the end of the day, you're only as good as those around you. And so what I wanted to do was have a steady hand um, in, my, in my role and really try to be consistent every day. And that way it, it, it kind of I would say it accentuated and really promoted more consistency in our approach of, hey, none of us have been through a pandemic before. Um, we don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. But let's focus on today. Let's focus on, you know, crushing what's right in front of us. And then ultimately, you, know, you, you kind of start building that camaraderie of a unit. And I was really proud of our team and proud of our student athletes because, um, you know, listen, there, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a plan. You know, you think about so many, so many people when you go to these, these professional development conferences, well, there's your 100-day plan. All right, well, that 100-day plan – doesn't normally happen the way you want it to. And then you throw in a pandemic and you might as well just toss it out the door, you know? And so I think for a lot of it, you kind of fall back on your train, right? And you fall back on your experiences. And I just think for, for us, it's just making sure we were all on the same page, which we were, I think allowed us to have a really good plan and, and our coaches and staff did a great job of navigating that. Yeah. I think what you're, you know, you're saying there too, is it, it made you and this athletic department stronger. It made the student athlete stronger. And I think that that's great perspective, not only for uh, this time, but you know, for life in general, uh, you mentioned it being a high to be a first time athletic director. And then there was another big moment about a year later where you hired your first head football coach, you bring in Clay Helton uh, to take over. And that really signaled a massive shift from that former triple option attack to a pass heavy attack. Uh, walk us through that search process and why you ultimately landed on Clay Helton as the man to lead Georgia Southern into this new era of football. Yeah, well, I think to answer that question, though, you've got to go back to what necessitated that move. And really for us, you know, four games in my first year, I really started having concerns about on the field performance. And, and obviously off the field, we had our, our share of challenges as well. And, and listen, there's certain standards that are non-negotiable. And those standards are obviously, you know, they're, they're talked about, they're lived by, and then ultimately you try to lead people to those standards. And so the Lord hit those standards and made a change. And so, you know, listen, I think anytime you go into a coaching search, you have a coaching profile, you can't get too tethered into that because sometimes you can, you can, in essence, um, eliminate candidates that you think you'd be good fits just because you're really tight on that candidate profile. So for us, um, I've got to the point in my career, well, I want to work alongside really, really good people. Um, and, and people that, quite frankly, when when the proverbial stuff hits the fan, are people you can be in a, in a foxhole with. And you know, I think that's important. I've worked just like y'all have with people that I really admire, and people I'd spend time away from the office with. And there's some that I don't want to spend time away with from the office at previous stops, right? And so, part of that, you want to say, all right, who's somebody that at the end of the day we can lock arms with, and and really do some special stuff here. And so that was kind of premise one. Obviously, you talk about the the, the values and. Ultimately, the, the leadership, 
kind of, I'd say, essential toolkits for being successful. But then you kind of get into, all right, well, style of play. <clears throat> I, I don't think you in any other research that I go into or we go into as, as, as colleagues in this industry, I don't know many ADs that we have to run this, right? We have to do this because you you eliminate a lot of candidates. And so, yeah, we talked to people that were, were very run option, right, based to, to obviously doing, you know, the, the air aid type and everything in between. <clears throat> and then you start sitting there thinking about oh, what's the pathway to success. And I think so much of it is I look through the lens of, of being a dad of a 17 year old uh, boys that who would I want my sons to play for. Right. And then secondly, Hey, listen, who has a plan? And what you realize in football is that, you know, in any, in every, actually every sport is it's really as good as those around you. Right. And so who could build out a, a, a great staff around both sides of the ball. And then third, it comes down to recruiting. Everything we do, relatively initiative-wise as a sport is through the eyes of a 16- to 18-year-old. So who had, who had the recruiting chops? Who had the ability to show they could assemble, you know, obviously top uh, classes that, to come into the Statesboro? And then lastly, you know, obviously style of play. Um, listen, football's changed. You know, the days of the 7 to, you know, 3 and 10 to 7 grind-out days, those are few and far between now. And so I think part of it is we wanted an explosive offense. Um, whatever that looked like, right? And so for me, when you look at, you know, Coach Elton, and I can get into more specifics with Clay's recruitment, but, you know, for us with Clay, you look at his his past. I mean, he had a better success at USC than Lane Kiffin, Ed Ogeron, and Steve Sarkeesian. And so you start looking at the path, the track record and the pathway that he had at USC, and I felt very confident that those same, you know, same results and same style of play would transition and and really work well in Statesboro. And so far, it really has. It definitely has. The offense looked great last year. And sticking on the offense and that air raid attack, the late Mississippi State coach Mike Leach was a former colleague of yours. And when you got the Georgia Southern job, he said Jared's one of America's up-and-coming administrators in college athletics. Could you talk about the impact he's had on your career and maybe share one of your best Mike Leach stories? I know he was a guy who was known for his colorful quotes. Yeah, you know, the, the, what I'll share with you, I wish it was longer. Right? We worked together for about uh, two months or so. And you know, anytime you go through a search with, with, with somebody, obviously you get to know them well. And, um, you know, I'll look back at that time of, of um, you know, we we tried to get in touch with Mike, and I'll try to make this short because there's, there's a lot of Mike Lee stories in two months' time, right? But we tried to get in touch with Mike to go interview him. We couldn't get in touch with him. So we, John Cohen and myself and um, Charlie Winfield, who was our outside counsel for the Athletic Foundation, we actually went ahead and uh, got on the school plane and flew down to Key West. We didn't know if we'd ever see Mike. We just went down there. And I remember when we talked to him the weekend before, there was a a restaurant bar called the uh, Half Shell Raw Oyster Bar. And that's all we knew. And, and so we just went down there. Uh, didn't know where his house was. Didn't know. And so come to find out, he had been on his boat the day before and didn't have any communication, no phone, no nothing. So... Coach Leach calls John back. I think it was like 11, 11, 15. We're setting up, by the way, in KUS at 945 on a Tuesday morning. Just like, well, let's just see what today brings, right? So Coach calls back, and he said, hey, uh, you know, John, you know, it was great to hear from you. Enjoyed talking to you last weekend. And, and John goes, well, well, Coach, we're down here in KUS. We want to visit with you. And his first words out of his mouth were, go Bulldogs, you know? And um, – He's like, well, you know, guys, I need to go get a haircut. Like, no, Mike, we don't really care what you look like. Just just let us come see you. We, we've got to go visit some other people. So we end up going to to Mike's house, and Miss Sharon was so nice to allow us to come over. Um, and we actually interview him on his pool deck for about an hour and 45 minutes. And the, the funny thing from that is interviews going well. And, and really, when you talk to Coach Leach, you're, you're on the edge of your seat because you don't ever know what's coming out of his mouth because he's so genuine and he just says what he 
what he thinks. Well, Charlie, I, I still joke with him. Our outside counsel goes, well, hey, coach, what's your average week? What does it look like? And I think that answer went on for 16 minutes. And we're sitting here thinking, and we got a flight to catch. We got to go, you know, head to the next place. But he was just such a, you know, my, my memory is from coach where he was, his his relatability to people was off the charts. I'll never forget the first night we had a uh, an alumni deal um, for all our donors and, and, and supporters of Mississippi State that night after his press conference. I mean, you'd have the farmer in the Delta, you'd have the, the, the attorney in Jackson, you, you name it, all types of folks from different parts of the state, different professions. His ability to relate to people wasn't like anything I've ever seen. Um, it was just, you know, it obviously is a huge loss for the football world, but, but um, you know, Coach Leach was just somebody that, you know, I think a lot of times people underestimated, um, you know, his ability to, to really connect with people on a deep level because, you know, he has such many great sound bites and stuff, but just a tremendous person. And, you know, obviously just, you know, you, you keep, you know, I would just encourage everybody to continue to keep sharing their family and your prayers because that was just a, a shock to a lot of us in shock to the football worlds uh, this past fall. Well, I appreciate you expounding upon that. It seems like every great Mike Leach story starts with Key West and maybe flip flops on. Yeah. So I appreciate you uh, sharing. Let's yeah, well, we could do we could do a whole segment of other stuff, which is not the point of today. But I I'll share some other stories at another date or offline about some things that on that trip because we had to come back later and get the MOU signed and. That brought a whole bunch of other stories. So yeah, we're definitely going to have to do that. Uh, maybe maybe over some drinks at some point. But uh, let's transition to talk about the 2022 uh, season. Uh, I think back to that historic week two in the Sun Belt. Uh, it was your team that pulled off uh, one of the three major upsets when you guys defeated Nebraska, coming from behind in that game. What do you remember most about that experience, and how has it helped to further elevate the the football brand at Georgia Southern? Yeah, so a couple of things. You know, we, we actually went out a day early. We, we always do one trip a year where we take our top donors, um, giving level society-wise, and um, and took, took them out there. And I remember going through their facilities, and very very similar to, you know, what I was used to in the SEC, right? And, and so I share that with you because we took them through there, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, because so much is, is, is resource-based, right? And I'm thinking, you know, listen, they've got a great setup out here. Obviously, tons of tradition. Hey, we're going to have to play really well to get the job done. And so when you go and you're going back and forth, back and forth in the game, you know, years past, we couldn't keep up with that scoring, right? Um, but we were matching score for score for score for score. And I remember getting in the second half and really started the fourth quarter after they did the whole, you know, I'd say the the theatrical programming between the third and fourth quarter, thinking, all right, this is where all the offseason training, that's where all the work comes in. And I just remember going and running to the field after the game, being elated because, you know, that was a huge win for the program. And I would tell you in a lot of ways last year, we over-index um, because I, I don't think enough credit gets gets really provided to, to Coach Elton and the staff because, you know, never never once, not one day, did they ever say, hey, these are not my guys. Everyone that was on the team was bought in day one. The coaches bought into them day one. And they took the best of what they had. And, and, and obviously, you think about this past year, beating Nebraska on the road, top 25 went at home against James Madison, and of course, beating App State, um, great rivalry there. Beating them on double overtime pass from Kyle Van Trees. <clears throat> so I think, and then obviously going to a bowl game in year one. So what happened was, you know, I look at last year's the foundation was was really laid for the for the Clay Helton era, right? The foundation was laid a long time ago with Coach Helton, excuse me, with, with Coach Russell. But Coach Helton, obviously coming in now, is trying to get this program back to where it needs needs, and quite honestly, where where it should uh, be within the Sun Belt and within our within the the national landscape of football, and so. I thought it was a really good first year. Obviously, you know, defensively, we've got some strides and Brandon Bailey coming in. Really excited about, 
the Mike Elko, you know, protege coming in here, really getting that that Elko style defense going. And so a lot to look forward to for next year. You mentioned Kyle Van Trees and those shootout games that were so fun to watch. And we all just found ourselves marveling at his play and Brian Ellis's led offense this season. How much fun was it to have a front row seat to that high flying offensive attack all season long? Well, it's fun because every possession you can score. I think the best part about it, though, this year was seeing so many so many student athletes that, quite frankly, um, had, had not been able to perform for various reasons, that style of play, whatever the situation was, depth chart, step up, and then perform at a really high level. I think that's a piece where you look at, like, how Kyle Van Trees, and you go down the list of other, you know, look at, like, Amari Jones, right? Look at Amari, look at Durham Burgess, right? Um, you know, I think Sam Kennison before he got hurt, you know, I think, and go down the list of people that, that stepped up in a huge ways last year and performed at a high level. And I think that was a really cool part of this year was um, some student athletes, maybe that for whatever reason, hadn't been given that opportunity and they stepped into the limelight and, and crushed it. And um, I think that was so, so um, I think reflective of that leadership style of coach held. I mean, he's going to get the best and assess and get the best out of everybody on that team. And it was a, it was a really cool brotherhood this year. I really saw people come together because anytime you go through a coaching transition, you know, coach Willie did a really good job of continuing that, transition leading up to coach Helton and getting the guys in a good spot. But, you know, I do believe attitude reflects leadership and, 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 and ultimately, you know, we've got a great leader with coach Helton and the staff. And um, I think that last year wouldn't have happened without him and without the staff. Yeah. Certainly excited to see what happens uh, in year two under coach Helton, you know, to kind of round out this section here, the team made their first bowl game since 2020 this past season, you guys played in the Camellia bowl against Buffalo it didn't end the way that you guys had hoped, but we've seen a lot of people talk and call into question just the number of bowl games that are played. But from your vantage point, what impacts do bowl appearances like that have for programs like Georgia Southern? Well, I mean, it's just several ways. One, obviously, from a from a branding aspect, I mean, it allows you to, to be you know part of an elite group of schools that are playing in a bowl game. Uh, two, it obviously allows you to have additional practices, which really prepare you as much for the bowl game as for next year. You know, three, I think it allows you to continue to recruit at a high level because, you know, it's like anything in life when you're recruiting people, whether it be a student athlete, a coach or, or a staff member, you want to sell them on where we're going as a program. And so going to a ball game in year one is huge because you're saying, hey, listen, this is just year one. The fun's just starting. And then I think four, obviously, you have a chance to really reward our fans and, and supporters throughout the year for their support. I mean, this play, listen, we – the thing that has not surprised me from day one in a good way is our fan base is just like an SEC fan base. I mean, they are true blue, they're diehard. And so, you know, obviously there were some some challenges this year in the Camellia Bowl with with with, with the host city and some things we obviously had to work through and disappointed there, but obviously feel like we, you know, at the same point provide a great feedback for the next next time the teams from the Sunbelt and, and the Camellia Bowl, they can do a hopefully a better job of hosting us. But at the end of the day, uh, I thought I was really proud of our, our fans and, and supporters showing up in Montgomery and battling some adversity at the game and really still coming in and cheering on the, obviously, uh, the Eagles. And uh, it didn't end the way we want to, but the same vantage point, it just was a great launching point for going to year two. Jared, you touched on that fan base, and I, I'll admit I played at Appalachian State, and I can I can firmly say Statesboro was my least favorite place to play. That's obviously a good thing for you in your position, but in your perspective, what makes the game day environment at Georgia Southern so special, and how do you work towards kind of channeling that and growing it, and maybe having it even permeate permeate to other sports? Well, it's always it's always people, right? And it's always people in alignment, whether it be in the office or whether it be um, you know obviously whether it be at a football game that you're talking about. And so I think I come back to you know one this place. You look at the where Georgia Southern football started, 
right, where you're going across the street to buy football and you get Coach Russell in to where we are today. Um, our fans show up every single day. Even I remember during our, our um, you know, interim season with Coach Whitley going into obviously hiring Coach Helton. I mean, we're a 3-9 team, and, and there wasn't a lot of optimism for that season. There was optimism going forward. But they're still showing up, supporting our student athletes. I mean, to me, that doesn't happen many places. I mean, you could sit there, look across the country at a transitional year, and fan bases drop off. And so, I, I just, I, in fact, I remember being the Coastal Carolina game where during that year, and it was raining cats and dogs, and we still have fans that are showing up, supporting. I just think that's truly unique. And and I would go back to you know, for us, we're, we're always trying to find ways to enhance the game day experience. And and we have I'll give you a case in point for this year, we have our new indoor facility that we take possession of at the end of July. And what's unique about that is it's got tailgate suites, 31 tailgate suites that, that really line the whole buildings. And so we feel like from a game day experience standpoint, from a tailgating experience standpoint, it's going to enhance. We have uh, obviously a seven-figure uh, parking project, you know, parking lot project, repaving. I mean, our goal every year is when fans show up at Paulson Stadium, they say, man, that's the best it's ever looked. Or, hey, this is the best in-game experience. And so – you're never going to be satisfied. There's always things you're trying to work at and get better at, but we feel like each year we've found ways to get better. And, and then ultimately it's a way to thank our fans, you know, from the time our staff, we work the tailgates, you know, we work the gates coming in. I mean, we do a lot of things that I would say traditionally run characteristic for, for staffs in college athletics. Cause part of that is we want to make sure our fans, supporters, donors, and alumni uh, know we care about them because at the end of the day, when, when people give their time and give their resources, those are two of the most, uh, important things people can give. And so we want to make sure that they know that, that we we appreciate them and, and make sure they have a good time in Statesboro. It's definitely a unique fan experience there. And I feel like y'all are taking it with a unique approach and it's definitely helping. But it's also an, a unique time in, in college athletics and college football specifically too. We've talked about all of our athletic directors about some of these changes, whether it's the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, the latest rounds of conference realignment that have been taking place in these next couple of years and some that have already happened. What's been your biggest challenge as an athletic director during this period of such drastic change? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I would say without, without specificity, I think, you know, for each of us and all of our roles, listen, I mean, there's people that have a lot more important roles than, than myself and our peers. I mean, people that are, you know, doing surgeries and curing cancer, you name it. I mean, I think for us, we, we have a job because of affinity of people's passion and and some really talented student athletes, right, that are God, have God-given abilities. So <clears throat> I think you have to keep a perspective. I think, too, you know, I think in all of our line of works, there's maybe a hundred things. I mean, we, we talk a lot about eliminating distractions. There might be a hundred things on your plate every day. Can you, do you, do you have the self-discipline to focus on the three or four things every day that, that are really critical, you know, to the organization, critical to the strategic plan, whatever the case is. And so, you know, there's a lot of conjecture out there. Um, you know, I, I, it goes back to controlling the controllables as simple as that sounds. I think you have to, because anybody that says they know exactly which way some of this stuff's going to go in a national landscape, it's not being earnest. I mean, I think maybe we have some ideas of how some things are going to go, but they're ideas. I mean, they're just they're really it's conjecture. So I think for us, as we focus on what we can control every day, we talk about with our staff and student athletes all the time, three controllables in life, right? Attitude, effort, how you treat people. Every day we focus on having a great attitude and, 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 and bringing energy to room and not sucking it out, right? You know, two, we're going to pride ourselves. This place is built on hard work, being blue collar. We're going to take that lunch bell approach every day. And then three is a biblical principle, one of God's two greatest commandments, but treat others that you would thyself. And we're going to treat people the way we want to be treated. And I just think that's so important. So when you take those 
those three controllables and you attack today every day like that, yeah, there's gonna be some things come your way, but you continue to 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 the next, you know, next, you know, uh, use a baseball reference, right? Next to bat, next to bat, next to bat, and so I think that you have to do that. Now we're not naive to what the future is going to hold, and so a lot of things, you know, whether it be Austin dollars, whether it be to understanding the NIL piece, you know, our our collective is in existence will be launched here, public facing here in the next couple of weeks, but we're making strides in those areas too. But I do think that you have to go back to the premise of what's our purpose? Like, why are we here? What's our why? And our why every day is inspiring and hopefully playing a small part in the success of young men and women. It's not Pollyanna. It's, it's just, that's how we feel. Like our, like our, our why is helping young people have a successful life after sports, not a successful career. So, yeah, I really do, you know, appreciate that perspective. Uh, cause I think, you know, again, we do get lost in the, the major changes that are happening, uh, in the landscape. Jared, a major part of your role as athletic director is fundraising and an ability that you've been known for throughout your career. Right now, you guys have over $70 million in new capital projects taking place. You have that Anthony Tippins indoor practice facility in the Hill Convocation Center. What goes into fundraising or fundraising for projects such as those? Yeah, well, thanks to inflation, we're close to 90 now. So, <laughs> um, no, we'll, we'll be a, a, be close to 100 million when this baseball project comes online. But no, I think listen, at the end of the day, you, you, again, you're only sound like a broken record. You're only as good as those around you. And we've got a great uh, foundation team that does a great job of, of really um, continuing to set the tone. And I'm always a big big proponent of you know visits, just like in sales, visits equal sales, right? So we try to make sure we're we're getting out and really trying to have as many touch points as possible. But um, listen, no, I mean, I, I think I go back to so much of what we do is is crafting a vision and, and i look at it noah from the vantage point if i'm going to take my hard-earned dollars and invest it you know i want to feel good about where, where that return on the investment it's not always going to be financial um but it's going to be more of a what's the end product and so i think i've been so so pleased and thankful for our fans and donors that have stepped up and really seen the where this where these projects are going so yeah you look at the indoor uh the anthony p tippins um facility that's coming online i mean that's going to be transformative you look at the Jack and Ruth Ann Hill Convocation Center that comes online uh, fall of 24, new home to Georgia Southern men's women's basketball. And then we're working on obviously an expansion for baseball. And so that, that going back to that, that practice facility, what you've got is day one, you know, you've got men's women's soccer, softball, baseball, and football can take advantage of a day one. And so I think our, our donors and fans have seen how they can impact our student athletes experience the competitiveness uh, pretty quickly. And so it's been, it's been really awesome to see that feedback and, at the end of the day, I've always said there's cranes in the air. That means there's progress, and that's always good. Yeah, there's no doubt facilities have become more and more important, especially in recruiting these days. And we saw the Sun Belt, this latest round of realignment, really lean into the regional rivalries that exist with adding James Madison, Old Dominion, and Marshall to a Sun Belt East that's already competitive and now even more competitive. But where have you already seen the benefits from that direction, and how do you think it'll create long-term sustainability for the conference? Well, yeah, listen, I mean, want to give, give, give credit to Commissioner Gill with his leadership to, to really, um, you know, pilot that, that plane per se or, or be the captain of the ship to get those schools, um, uh, obviously to the, to our conference and obviously the presidents of the, of the institutions as well. Because I think the one thing that, in my opinion, that really created this, this alignment, which has worked out so well, is there was an alignment with the presidents and, and Commissioner Gill from day one. And so I think, you know, and plus to our conference ADs did a great job of getting feedback about the process. So I think the alignment piece was so important and also to the, the community nature of how fast these things happen. 
And so where you start to see it play out is from day one, it didn't take a rocket science to figure out in every sport we're getting better. Um, and then you start sitting there and, and listen, I mean, I think it's exciting for our student athletes and fans to where they get to travel to places like this year coming up, for example. I've never been to Marshall, just me personally, but um, never been to Marshall, never been to James Madison. Well, that's exciting. I mean, it's a new place for our fans and donors and student athletes to attend. And so I think from a student athlete experience standpoint, there were advantages day one. Competitiveness, obviously, we're getting better. I mean, we were talking before we came on air about baseball. I mean, for most of the year in baseball, we had eight teams in the top 100 RPI. In fact, outside of the, you know, you have four, four conferences ahead of us, we're the fifth highest conference in baseball. I can sit there and regurgitate stats across all our sports. And so we got more competitive. And then I love our footprint. I mean, our footprint's great, obviously, from Texas all the way up to West Virginia and Virginia. I mean, we've got a great footprint. And so as you look across the country and you see a lot of conference realignments and things that don't make sense geographically, um, I think we obviously it, it makes a lot of sense for where we, we find ourselves right now in 2023. Yeah, it definitely has made a big difference. The travel component, I know, for you guys as an athletic department, as well as for the fans, like you mentioned. A uh, couple more questions here. Let's talk name, image, and likeness. Uh, you briefly touched on that a moment ago. There's a growing arms race kind of inside the Sun Belt. We've seen teams like James Madison, App State, and Louisiana really start to lean into that space and the opportunities that it provides for student athletes. What is Georgia Southern doing to keep pace in this new fast paced side of the industry? Yeah. So, I mean, I go back and we were one of the first schools in the, in the uh, conference to really utilize the Austin dollars and really the, the Austin dollars, really what it allows us to do is tether, tether those distributions of, of aid to results we want to have. Right. So there's academic performances. There's a service component. I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of this year, our student athletes, we had over 11,000 service hours in the community in the first 10 months of the year. When you talk about making an impact, you know, where you where your footprint is, that's really, really proud. And then you also, too, would it be having a resume cover letter on file. And so there's things that we tethered those distributions to that I thought were really, um, really progressive in our in our approach. Um, I think, too, from an NIL standpoint, you know, so much as um, this space is changing by the day, our approach was, hey, let's not be first to market. Let's make sure we have the right, you know, right opportunities to, to take advantage of that. So our student athletes day one were the, Open Doors Marketplace were able to take advantage of NIL opportunities, which I was really thankful for and really as supportive as it can be for our student athletes to take advantage of that. Now, <clears throat> we also talk to them. It's kind of like a, it's, it's a job, right? You got to hustle, right? I mean, so part of this is you got to make sure that, you know, whatever goods and services you're providing that you got to follow through with it. And then there's life lessons in there, right? If someone reaches out to you, being, being prompt, getting back to them, being respectful, you know, and then following through and doing an excellent job, whatever they, they reached out to you on. And then, from a collective standpoint, uh, we've been progressive there. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, we, we have a, a forward-facing launch coming soon for our collective that's been, uh, you know, obviously working behind the scenes. And we'll be supporting that as an athletic department, as a university. So um, really excited about those opportunities. Listen, nationally, there's obviously a lot of conjecture, a lot of talk, especially as we speak. There's talk, obviously, of a skinny bill in Congress. And so, again, all we, we, we've been obviously talking to representatives about the, the need for some some you know top priorities I'd say in college athletics to make things uh, more transparent and more consistent across the board. But I've been very proud of of our again our our supporters and those that have stepped up to support our student athletes taking advantage of NIL. Last question before you let we let you go. We wanted to talk about the transfer portal as well. We've seen Georgia Southern's football team really utilize it with Clay Helton at the helm very well. And as of the athletic director, what are your thoughts on this new free freedom of movement era? In college football and kind of similar how you talked about name image likeness so there's maybe some changes you want to see implemented by the ncaa as it relates to the transfer portal specifically yeah i mean we, we, we talked when it first came into existence the transfer portal taketh and giveth right so 
you know, I think part of that is I always go back to when you when you want to create a, a culture of excellence and you want to create a, a you know that brotherhood or sisterhood within the locker room, you know, you want to make it difficult where where student athletes don't want to leave, right? But in the same vein, you know, I've always been a proponent of hey, we, our why and why we got into this business is to help young people. And sometimes, whether it be Georgia Southern, other place I've been, Mississippi State, whatever, sometimes that's just not the best place for them for various reasons. And so I don't like, if you think about it, if we're in a position to help young people, well, then sometimes like the, the portal becomes a great avenue for them to find other opportunities. I, think, I don't think that's bad because at the end of the day, it's, it's doing right by young people. Now, it doesn't mean you're just obviously just rolling over, but at the end of the day, it also means like, hey, listen, if this is not working out academically, athletically, you're not playing whatever the situation is. Obviously, we want to help you find a place so you can be successful. And of course, it works inversely where, you know, we have, obviously, you mentioned Coach L. We have some student athletes that, you know, well, we've had some, obviously, you know, A5 student athletes. And we've had some D2s that wanted more opportunities to play at a higher level. So I think it just depends on the fit. But I, I go back to, you know, the, the portal is kind of like you think about speed dating. I mean, you got to make sure we talk to our coaches a lot about you work so hard every day to build that great locker room, player led culture. You want to make sure that you're bringing people in, obviously young people in that support that. And so the the athletic piece is really easy to find out. So it's easy to put on film and watch them. Um, but it's calling their former coaches, calling their teammates, calling people that that know them well, and try to find out in a quick fashion what type of student athlete, what type of person are you bringing into the program, and then ultimately academically, can they be successful? You know, because APR, obviously, guidelines are still in place. So you want to make sure you're bringing in people that can be successful in the classroom, too. So I call it speed dating because part of that is when you can now, July 1, start recruiting student-athletes going to your junior year. I mean, you've got time to, to do all that. The portal works so fast to where you, you've got to hit it, you know, pretty hard, almost more lightning-type fashion of finding out what you normally find out maybe in six months, maybe a year. Well, Jared, really appreciate your time today. We obviously got some great life lessons, some perspective on college athletics. So thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us and talk uh, today. No, well, listen, I appreciate uh, one, y'all let me you know, come on and two, what you're doing for the Sun Belt. And uh, man, we, we've got an exciting year ahead. Obviously, we're wrapping up the 22-23 season, but I have no doubt 23-24 is going to be a great year. So appreciate what y'all do for the conference and appreciate you having me on. Yeah, can't wait for the upcoming season. All right, Hell Southern, GATA. Caden, those conversations, they're always insightful, but I really appreciated just Jared's demeanor and how he talked about the type of athletic department he wants to run at Georgia Southern. It's hard for these athletic directors to really try to get everything going on every element when you take the the sports side of things, the academic side of things, and the human beings that these student athletes are and really trying to shape them into that. But it's very clear that's a priority for Jared, very similar to the conversation we had before with other athletic directors. And you can see that in what he's done. He kind of admitted to and kind of touched on some of maybe the mistakes we've seen in the past and some of the cultural issues that have arisen with the fan base and other different distractions that have existed in the football program and beyond. But I think moving forward and him taking that and putting that into priority has already paid dividends for this program and probably will continue to in the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I also thought it was interesting just talking to him about the fundraising aspect of college athletics. He mentioned in the intro to this episode, uh, talking about some of the projects that they have coming online, close to $70 million in capital projects going on. That feels like a full-time job. He's obviously the tip of the spear trying to get money from donors to help it further improve this program in years ahead. 
Yeah. And he also touched on just the importance of recruiting and the name image likeness and the transfer portal. And that stuff goes hand in hand. People forget that new facilities are just a huge recruiting tool and they always have been. And I think them are gonna, that whole priority for student athletes is going to just raised up a notch a little bit with NIL and those other aspects. So I think now more than ever, that side of being athletic director, having things for your recruits to look at is, hey, we're building these new facilities. This is what we got going on. Anything you can get to get an upper leg in this ultra competitive environment when it comes to recruiting out of the transfer portal on high school is definitely important. So it's good to see that Jared's kind of making that a priority. And I think he's going to continue to reap the benefits of that the more we see get built up in states pro with that fan base supporting them on. Yeah, definitely an interesting approach there, too. He mentioned not wanting to necessarily be at the forefront of that right away, but to get things right. And uh, they're going to be announcing a a collective in the coming weeks ahead uh, to kind of further help that football program. Caden, what do you make of that approach? Because we've we've talked about how quickly things are changing. Yeah, it seems like the move. It seems like if you're not making a collective, if you're not working towards that, you're kind of getting left in the past right now. There's very unprecedented times right now when you look at college football. And I know coaches like across the conference and athletic directors and decision makers like Jared have talked about wanting to see more rules, more regulations and that kinds of things as it relates to NIL and the transfer portal. But until then, these collectives, I think, are the best move that teams and programs can make moving forward if they're trying to get the edge in that department. Well, really appreciate Jared Banco taking some time to talk with us. We also want to say a special thank you to Senior Associate AD Brian Johnston for helping make today's conversation possible. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Frary and Smith podcast on Wednesday, June 14th. Caden, you're going to love this. We're we're going to continue our position preview series, uh, but we're going to be talking the defensive side of the football, breaking down some of the best defensive linemen in the Sun Belt heading into the 2023 season. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, please like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It continues to help us and the show out. We'll continue to be here all offseason, keeping you up to date with the latest happenings from around the Sunbelt Conference. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Prairie. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>